0: Well, gentlemen, welcome to the first real day of Amen Bible Study. When the snow comes and the sleet falls and the ice is on the ground, that's when real men come to study the Bible. So this is the first real day. This is real Amen Day. Okay, please turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel. It comes; That book is right before 2 Samuel, if you're having a hard time finding it. And turn to chapter 18 and just... To give you newbies a little hint, it's on page 521 of your ESV study Bible. Today, we are going to look at a phenomenal aspect of the Christian life that's revealed to us in the Old Testament. It has to do with friendships. And this is vitally important to you and to me. When I think about back on, on my high school experience, I'm sure you feel the same way. When you think back on high school or college, what do you remember besides some nutty teacher that you had the main thing you remember your friends that's that's what you value from high school and college you, you don't go back and have reunions so that you can rehearse some of the formulas you learned in physics class uh, you go back to reunions and be with your friends friends are extremely important to your life some of you are really gifted at making them or being a friend some of you struggle with it but what we're going to see in the scriptures is this is a constituent element of being a follower of jesus christ is being a friend maker, being a real friend. You remember, may remember the name Roger Ailes. He was uh, an advisor to President Reagan, and he was a consultant, business consultant, in many different directions. But I remember reading one time an article by Roger Ailes where he said in his consulting business, uh, in 70% of the cases where men failed in the workplace, it had to do with relationships, 70% of the time. And I can say... Uh, My observation is in those who are being successful and being fruitful and effective, they're all uh, people who are friend makers and have friends. Friends are extremely, extremely important. And then when I look at the church today, I see all kinds of fractured relationships. Well, I look in the world, in politics, in the news, and look at how we're living in society. Things are more and more fractured, it seems to me. People are forgetting how to be reconciled as friends. They've forgotten how to uh, truly apologize. The way people apologize today is they say, I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings. Yeah, well, you did hurt my feelings. But nothing ever gets reconciled between the two people. They don't know how to build a real relationship that has justice and truth and godliness in it and that has deep affection in it. Uh, But in the scriptures, we find that this is a constituent element of following the Lord. And certainly, uh, not only in the church here, but... Uh, it's true around the world. If uh, Those of us who are involved in international missions, we know that the number one reason that missionaries come home off the field is because of broken relationships on the field. And if you're serious about those relationships, they're going to have to be carefully cultivated. They're going to have to be maintained. You're going to have to pay attention to them. You're going to be a different type of person if you're going to build real, godly friendships. And so today I want to talk about deep, Godly friendships, because in David's life, we see that that happens. Now, he makes friends with a bunch of rascals, uh, as we'll find out next week. Uh, He gathers a bunch of malcontents around him uh, to be his warriors. We'll see why that is. So he's able to build friends with a bunch of rascals, but he also builds friendships, David does, of the highest quality. And uh, it's a tribute to him, but it's also a tribute to his friends, as we shall see. And these kinds of friendships we need to be willing to develop. And sometimes, depending upon how we've grown up or what our personalities are, uh, we just feel incompetent in establishing real uh, affectionate relations between uh, other people, other men. And I want to talk about that today because I think it's vital to our Christian experience and to our effectiveness as, as men in society. So let's look at chapter 18. And, of course, David has just defeated the great giant uh, from um, Gath, Goliath. And let's look now what happens in chapter 18, something very interesting. Verses 1 through 5. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Okay, notice in these five verses, the foundations of a deep godly friendship, a DGF, are spiritual. Spiritual. Why do I say that? Well, if you notice in verses 1 through 2, We love with our souls. We're told here that Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Ultimately, real, deep, godly friendships are spiritual matters. It's a matter of your soul being knit to another person. And we're talking about best friendships here. We'll see that David was able to make friends at different levels, some superficial some medium, but some very deep. Here's a deep friendship, and your soul is being knit to another. And notice the nature of it, of this friendship, that he loved David's soul as he did his own soul. Have you ever had a friendship like that? Have you ever had a friend to love you as much as he loved himself? Have you ever experienced that? Where you, I mean, outside of your own children, outside of your own grandchildren, have you ever loved another person as you loved yourself you genuinely had deep affection for them you say well, no i never i never had that in either direction well most people haven't i remember being in a Sunday school class uh this is 25 years ago in a different place and uh, i remember um uh someone the, the teacher said uh to the class uh, how many of you here have ever bought a brand new car you know, just about everybody in the class raises their hand. And then he says, have you ever had anyone be, do you, any of you have a friend who is really glad when you buy your new Mercedes? It's really glad for you. And one of the men, I'll never forget, he raised his hand, he said, I've never had a friend like that. It may sound really simple, but here's just a simple little uh, pleasure that, one of your friends may enjoy What do you usually think? Well, you know, he could have sent three missionaries with that car. Or, you know, he's, he's not really that successful. He's showing off. Or, you know, just the whole array of thoughts you have go through your mind. But to have someone who's really excited for you in some experience that you have or some success that you have, here is Jonathan. His soul is knit to David. He loves David's soul as himself. And what you're seeing here is the essence of deep, godly friendship. And I think it's incumbent upon us to learn how to love other people as we love ourselves, to have our souls knit to them. And it's a deeply spiritual thing because, obviously, Jonathan is observing something in David that he deeply admires. So he's looking at him, and his soul is knit to him because he admires him. Now, notice also what he does. He, he goes from there and B, verse 3, we love in covenant. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved, loved him as his own soul. So when he, he commenced to him. Now, some people have no way of understanding this relationship except to say, oh, they were obviously both gay. Well, uh, look, gay, gay men too can love other people. Uh, men and women as their own soul. People who have same-sex attraction. But I don't think there's any evidence here that these guys are gay. I think what, it, what there's evidence here is that they're spiritually minded men. And they know how to love. They're real men. And we're going to see the, the man of all men, Jesus Christ, has his soul knit to the souls of others. He really loves men and women. And he, he, he loves them, has affection for them. That's part of being a man. And here you see it with Jonathan. Now, notice he makes a covenant with David. Now, what does this mean? Well, a covenant, for example, you know in uh, Old Testament times and in ancient Near Eastern times, to make a covenant was to swear your fealty, your loyalty to another person. And normally this was done through a ritual. And typically it was done with a king, the suzerain or sovereign king with his vassal kings. So you would have a big suzerain king, and he would go to his vassal kings, his smaller kings, regional kings, and he would have a little ceremony. And there would, would be sacrificial animals involved in religious exercises, but the animals would be split, killed and split. The vassal king, the, you know, the, the little cheese, would walk through the split animal as a symbol or almost a sacrament to say, if I disobey the suzerain king, may I look like this split animal. So the split animal was, gonna, it was showing very vividly how this disobedient vassal king would look. And in a case where two people like David and Jonathan make a covenant, there would usually be blood involved like that. They would commit themselves to die rather than to violate the friendship. So it was a deep thing. Also, there were promises made in the covenant. Now you say, what's the equivalent today? Well, think about it, for example, in marriage. Any of you who are married, you did the same thing. You said, till death do us part. So only death can separate us. You also said in those vows that you would be a loving and faithful husband. So you make a covenant vow to unite yourself but uh, not just soul to soul, but in this case, with a woman body to body, and that there will be none other, and that she will always be number one, and that you will serve her in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health. You will be with her to them. There's a covenant. You're swearing your fealty. And Jonathan and David are making a covenant. There's another way in which we make covenant, uh, at least in, in our church. I don't know about all your, your churches when... New members join, but we take vows, covenant vows. And we promise to walk together as befits a Christian. We promise to promote the peace, purity, and unity of the church, of the body of people here. So we make covenant with each other when we join Christ's church. And in effect, I think that's correct because if we're devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, make covenant with Him, which we do, We also make covenant with His people. So we have a lot of covenant relationships. David and Jonathan were simply saying, we belong to each other like brothers. And we will be real brothers. Now notice uh, what this means then for Jonathan. It means, uh, verse 4, that we divest ourselves. Now this is an amazing thing. You have to remember that Jonathan is the crown prince. He's the man who is next in line. He's the Prince William of Israel. He's the one who's going to take over as soon as, in Prince William's case, when Granny dies or Dad dies, uh, Prince William is the guy. Jonathan was in the same position. He was the the crown prince. Jonathan had everything to look forward to. And his daddy will do anything to see that the kingdom is now going to be invested in Jonathan. Everybody knows that. Everybody looks at Jonathan as the number two man in all of Israel. But look at this, gentlemen. This not an amazing text. When he sees David, his soul is knit to him. He makes a covenant with him. He makes a covenant with a man before the Lord. And here's what happens if you're going to make a deep godly friendship your soul is knit to another person, you commit to them. As soon as you do that, the only way you can live out this friendship is in humility. You have to be ready at at a moment's notice when this person, in your opinion, under God's hand and providence, is to be advanced beyond you, you immediately divest yourself and get into Him and support Him. Now that's what a covenant demands. It's the same way with your wife. You advance her in every conceivable way. Some men have a hard time with their wives because, frankly, they married way over their heads. And instead of being grateful to God, they end up being jealous. Jealous of their wives. How stupid. Well, it's prideful. When you make a covenant, you immediately commit yourself to humbling yourself with your friend, acknowledging your friend's gifts and strengths, and advancing him in those gifts and strengths and submitting to those gifts and strengths in that friendship. So friendship is very costly because it it demands continual humility and sometimes humiliation, as we'll see with Jonathan, in order to have a real godly friendship. So you know this, if if you have a godly, a deep godly friendship with someone who is a very gifted person, in this life your friendship is largely going to consist of supporting and encouraging that person in his work or his ministry. Because you see the, the gift of, gifts of God, you see that he's eminently gifted in some way, you see that he's got the ability to expand God's kingdom, and you get behind him. Now look what Jonathan does. Very briefly after he has his covenant made with David, he is completely divesting himself of his status as crown prince. It's amazing. This is never done in the Mideast or anywhere else. But certainly in the ancient Near East, we have a history of crown princes slaying everybody who looks like they could be a competitor to the throne. It's 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 just a long line of blood in any of these fiefdoms. This, This is unprecedented. Something is deeply motivating Jonathan. And Jonathan's not a coward. Jonathan is not an ungifted man. We've already seen earlier in 1 Samuel, Jonathan has slain his own Philistines. Jonathan's a leader. Jonathan is certainly capable of taking Israel and leading Israel and having his own kingdom. There's no question about this. He's a very competent person. But in a godly relationship with David, he is knit to him and in order to be knit to a man you, in, in, in free, real friendship, you have to be able to acknowledge and promote his strengths as well as cover for his weaknesses. You have to be willing to come alongside. And when his gifts exceed your own, you have to be willing to give way if you're going to have a real spiritual friendship with somebody. That's exactly what Jonathan is doing here. Look how he divests himself. He strips himself of the accoutrements of his own glory, of his robe. He takes off his robe, which is the sign of his princedom, and he hands this over to David. He gives him the insignia of his future commander-in-chief role. gives him the sword, his bow, and his belt. Absolutely amazing. Real friendship with other people requires humility. Notice in verse 5, we love or we make others successful. If we are establishing a deep godly friendship, we are constantly making other people successful. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It was good in the sight of Jonathan. Jonathan delighted in David's success even at his own expense. This is a deep, godly friendship because Jonathan recognized in the economy of God, for the sake of God's kingdom, this was God's man. And he didn't care about what men had established, like his father had established. He wanted what God was establishing, and he got behind David and took delight in his success. One of the greatest examples of this in the New Testament, of course, is Barnabas. Barnabas was a very gifted man. He was uh, multilingual. He was a competent teacher. And when Antioch needed some help, because revival was breaking out there, it was becoming a multi-ethnic church and a multi-ethnic city. And of course we know that Antioch eventually became the staging ground for the Christian mission to Asia and Europe. So it was a very important church. It was an important city, but it, was, it had there an important church. And with this multi-ethnicity came all kinds of problems. And they sent Barnabas up there to check it out. Now, Barnabas was a gifted man. Barnabas very well could have said, let me be your senior minister for you know, two or three years and help get things straightened out here. But here's what Barnabas did. He walked 100 miles up to Tarsus. Because he knew, he knew about Paul. Paul had been, uh, you know, driven out of uh, one place and another because wherever he went, he seemed to cause trouble. Because he was a very straightforward preacher, as you know. He called things what they were, he called them out, he confronted people, got into arguments, good arguments. But sometimes it made people so, so mad they'd kick him out of the city. Well, Barnabas knew. Down deep inside, Barnabas' soul was knit to Saul, to Paul. And, and you can tell that it was. He goes 100 miles up to Tarsus and says, Paul, you've got to come down here. This church is the perfect church for you to serve, and they've got to have you. This church has tremendous potential, so on and so on. I'd love to be a fly on the wall to hear, hear Barnabas' speech. But Barnabas got behind Paul. Paul came down and ministered. Now, can you imagine your senior minister is the Apostle Paul, the superintendent of Sunday schools is Barnabas. And these two guys are working with that multi-ethnic church. And, of course, it's not long before that church sends them both out as international missionaries. And they're they're prayed for, hands are laid on them, and they're sent out on the first missionary tour. That would never have happened without Barnabas. If Barnabas had not submitted himself to what he recognized as preeminent gifts in Paul, then Paul would never have been called out of Tarsus, back into service, and put on these missionary trips. Uh, Barnabas was an amazing person. His name, Bar-Navas, means son of encouragement. It's exactly what he was. And here, Jonathan uh, is uh, the the same way. The the word Jonathan, by the way, means uh, gift of God. Natan means gift. And then you've got Joe, which would be short for Yahweh, for Jehovah. So, gift of God. And Jonathan is a gift of God. And you'll see that uh, with not only with Paul the Apostle, but with David the great king. You're not going to be a great king if you don't have great friends. And Jonathan is a great friend. His soul is knit to David because David is God's man. He can see it. And he sees that he's got gifts that can be used for the kingdom. And Jonathan strips himself of his own privileges in order to invest them in David. What an amazing friendship. I think every friendship is this way. If you get close to someone... You begin learning who they are, and you realize they have gifts that are greater than yours. You, you will come under and alongside, and you'll help push this man forward and out. And uh, that is a real, real friend. Now, secondly, uh, you'll notice, and uh, uh, let's look at verses 19, one through 7. But before we get there, you'll notice that Saul becomes very jealous. We're going to look at this next week, the pursuit of Saul against David. It's just amazing. If you, well, let's back up. Look for a second at chapter 18, verse 7. And, and the women were singing this nice little song. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Nice little country music there. But the, the Saul hated that. Look at verse 8. Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. So what Saul saw were some of the same gifts in David. But those gifts just threatened Saul. He didn't take delight in those gifts unless those gifts were being used to advance Saul. Jonathan took delight in those gifts because those gifts were advancing God and His kingdom. That's the difference between a godly friendship and a manipulative friendship. We're simply using people for what they have in order that we might gain. And we'll give them something we'll give them a little respect, we'll give them a little time, we'll give them a little encouragement, just enough so that they'll reciprocate and give us what we want out of them. That's the normal pagan way of establishing friendships. If they're mutually manipulative. And that's exactly what Saul was doing. David was charming as long as he was playing his lyre and helping Saul with his own life. But as soon as David's gifts are recognized by anybody else, Saul's jealousy strikes out, he hates it. And, of course, because of that, he's now trying to kill David. Can you imagine this? Trying to kill David just simply out of raw jealousy of David's gifts. And David has to flee. And, you know, there later in chapter 18, even David's wife, Michael, who is the daughter of Saul, helps David escape. So now David is escaping. Let's look at chapter 19, verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son and to all his servants, that they should kill David. Now let's see what happens to this friendship. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. Now let's look at this. The conduct in a deep godly friendship is other-centered. Your conduct in this friendship is, is directed toward the other party. It's self-sacrificial. Now look first of all, in verse 1 we see that Jonathan admired David. He was not swayed by the gossip or the evil assessments of other people, even his own father. But rather, he observed the good qualities of David when David was under attack. So a real godly friendship stays focused on a godly perspective at assessing a person's character even when they're being slandered or gossiped about or hated by other people, even your own daddy. So you have the presence of mind to make judgments that are righteous judgments that are according to God's will and not the uh, 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 the will of man. So Jonathan, first of all, admired David and admired him through the grid of God's kingdom. And that's how he assessed him. So his dad hated him because David was a threat. Jonathan did not adopt that paradigm of his own father. And that's what friendships require. Rugged devotion to the standards of the scriptures when you're establishing these friendships and assessing other people. Secondly, notice that Jonathan advised David, He wasn't breaking a confidence with his father just to be disloyal to his father. But he was protecting the one that he perceived to have God's hand on him and to be the future king of Israel. And Jonathan was loyal to him. And actually, Jonathan was loyal to his dad because his dad was perpetrating evil and Jonathan was trying to keep his dad from perpetrating evil. And the way that he could protect his father from perpetrating evil was to rat out what his dad had said to him about David over to David. That he was actually protecting Saul. It would be no good for Saul to lay a hand on David. That'd be the total destruction of Saul in the moment. No one would want to see what God would have done if Saul had got his hands on David. So Jonathan's commitment to truth and justice exercised in his relationship with David and uh, uh, David. Enable him to deal properly with his own wicked father. And some of you have had fathers whose morality were not, was not up to your own standards. And believe me, you've got to take a stand. And David decided, or Jonathan decided early on he was going to stand with Jehovah God, the Lord who lives, rather than his own dad. And there's some men who really desperately need to hear that message. You need to stand with your heavenly father over your earthly father when your earthly father is wrong. doesn't mean you hate your father. Jonathan doesn't hate his father. He's pleading with him. Look at the next two verses, verses 4 and 5. We defend David. We defend our friend. Why? Because he's right. It is right and it is good to defend him. Jonathan is not just defending David because they have an agreement or because they have a contract or because Jonathan is protecting his own interest. Or because Jonathan is a sentimental sort. And you know, once you make a commitment to David, it's David, come hell or high water. That's not what's going on here. Jonathan is committed to the Lord's kingdom. He's committed to what's right and good. And then he handles the various parties around him based on what's right in the presence of God. And look how he advises his own dad. He reminds his father, the king, who has all the power in the kingdom. Anytime Saul wants to take Jonathan's life, he can take it. And you'll see in a moment he attempts to do that too. So, Jonathan is saying, Dad, let's reason together. You remember this young man took on Goliath when you wouldn't go out to battle and take him on, and you're the tallest one in Israel. You wouldn't take on Goliath. You sat in the palace. He went out there and did it. Now, why are you going to take the blood of an innocent man, especially a man like that, who has fought for Israel and defended us? So, Jonathan takes the full brunt of the argument to his father. Now, all of us know that if you're doing evangelism or if you're promoting some cause, it's a lot easier to talk to non-family members than your own family, especially your own father. Has anyone here ever tried to evangelize your father? You know how difficult that is. Uh, The last thing any man would want to do is to challenge his own dad. And Jonathan, because of deep, godly friendships established in the presence of God, has to confront even his own father. So he defends David. Now, look fourthly, verses 6 and 7. We reconcile our friends. Deep, godly friendships seek to help our friends establish more friends. Ungodly friendships try to keep friends just for ourselves. And we're a little bit rattled when somebody else comes in and takes some of the affection of our friend away from us. That's ungodly friendships, because we want that friend for ourselves. But a deep, godly friendship wants your friend to enjoy reconciled relationships with everybody. For his sake, you want him to enjoy more people, not just yourself. Remember, you've already come in underneath him. You've already established the fact that you're focusing your friendship on His advancement, not on your own. You don't have to have any friend. Anybody you have to have, you just made a God out of them. The only reason you'd have to have anybody, including your wife, is for your own purposes. But remember, we're other sinners, so you don't have to have anybody. The only person you have to have is the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to have Him. You don't have to have anybody else. If you have to have them, they're not a real friend. The only friend you can really have is a friend you don't have to have. Think about that. If you're grasping at that friend because you've got to have something out of them, their prestige or their influence or whatever it is, their encouragement, you've got to have it. It's a self-centered friendship. It's not a deep, godly friendship. Deep, godly friendship is constantly giving away. So here is what Jonathan is doing. He is getting his father, the king, and the rival to Jonathan together. David is Jonathan's rival. David is taking over what was rightly Jonathan's. And Jonathan is making these two people friends so that it's even more likely that David's going to displace Jonathan. Why? Deep, godly friendship based upon seeking the advancement of God's kingdom and not our own kingdom. That's what's behind all of it. So Jonathan seeks to persuade Saul that David is a good man that should be promoted. And he goes to David and says, I think there's an opportunity here with my dad. Let's get together. You see this? Jonathan's being just like Barnabas. He's getting people together. And that's what real friends do. Now, notice thirdly, Roman number three. The currency in a deep godly friendship is mutual trust. You can't have a deep godly friendship Without mutual trust. Now, in chapter uh, 20, uh, as we pick up the story, um, we'll see that David had fled, of course, to Ramah because Saul tried to pin David to the wall. And Michael encourages uh, him to escape, and he goes to Ramah to visit with Samuel, interestingly enough. And I'm sure he poured out his heart to Samuel, and I'm sure that Samuel gave him godly advice And, uh, of course, there um, uh, Saul pursues him, and the Spirit of God comes on Saul, and Saul is prophesied by the power of the Spirit. And this is an interesting text. We'll we'll get into it later. And so everybody says, even Saul prophesies? (laughs) Saul, wicked Saul? Yeah, you can have the operations of the Holy Spirit on you without having the Holy Spirit in you, as we see here. The Lord is just simply defending David and sends his spirit uh, to slay Saul, if you will, in the spirit. Now, we come to chapter 20, and uh, let me try to uh, summarize this. Uh, In verse 1, you see, David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And look what Jonathan says. He says to to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan basically ends the argument between the two of these friends. And he says, whatever you say, I will do for you. So they're arguing. Jonathan's trying to keep Saul and David together. And David is saying, Jonathan, your dad's not telling you everything because he knows that your heart's knit to mine. He he is intent to kill me, I'm telling you. And Jonathan says, okay, what do you want me to do? And they work out this deal. Where uh, uh, David said, verse five, "Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and it should not fall to sit, I, uh, and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king." So David David sets up the story. He says, "Look, the fe- new moon festival is coming up. That was a regular festival every month. Uh, when the new moon came up in the western sky, little sliver of a crescent, all Israel would celebrate a feast. They were they were lunar festivals." And the king had his festival, and when the king had a festival, everybody has to be there. Everybody has to be in their seat. You don't get it. You know, it's like a command performance. Truly, a command performance. Everybody has to be there. And David says, "Well, let's let's find out if Saul hates me or not. Uh, you just tell him I'm not there because my my family inquired of me and wanted me to come spend the festival with them, and just see what Saul says." And, of course, Saul flunks the test and, and is out to get David. And you remember the story that um, Jonathan says, we'll do it this way. If my, soul, if my father is out to kill you, I'm going to come out on a certain day and I'm going to fling an arrow and tell my servant to go get it. If I tell my servant it's beyond him, then what I'm telling you, you'll be hiding behind a rock so my servant won't see you. I'm telling you in code language, Go, go, run. If I tell my servant, no, the is on this side. Stay over this way. You know I'm telling you it's safe to stay. So that's exactly what happens uh, here in this story. They entrust, but you'll notice, uh, A, in in mutual trust, we entrust ourselves to each other. Jonathan is trusting David, and David is trusting Jonathan. How is Jonathan trusting David? They make an arrangement. Uh, that you can see uh, in verse 13. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Verse 14, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, For he loved him as he loved his own soul. So here you can see that the trust they had in each other is David had to trust Jonathan with his life. If Jonathan betrayed him, David's life is over. At the same time, Jonathan, in his humility, recognizes the Lord's hand on David. He knows David is the future king. And so when his dad's dynasty is being taken over by David's dynasty, what normally happens? This one's completely destroyed. And Jonathan says, I want you to make an exception out of me, his son, and my generation. Let that be the covenant between us. So they were going to have to trust each other in deep godly friendship. You can't have a deep godly friendship without trusting each other with your confidences, with your weaknesses, letting someone know where you really need help and you've got to trust your friend that they're, they're not going to betray you by talking out of school. Deep godly friendships protect each other, not to the point of sin, but we protect each other's reputations, we protect each other's estates, we protect each other's relationships. These are deep godly friendships. This is what's supposed to happen in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are as, you know, uh, uh, Some have said we're just friends. We are supposed to be the house of friends. So notice uh, several things in this text. First, I'd like to point out four things about this friendship at this point, the way they uh, they trust each other. Number one, they confirm their commitment which transcends mere blood relationships. So their friendship transcends blood relationships. And let me just say that in spiritual relationships where soul is being knit to soul, those relationships do transcend blood relationships as you grow in Christian maturity. Now, of course, what you want is that the people in your family you're also knit to in your soul. In other words, you, you are praying that everyone in your family becomes a believer. Everyone in your family is knit to you because we're all born anew from, a, from heaven. We all have the same heavenly Father. But there are cases where it doesn't happen, aren't there? Even your own children. Sometimes your parents or your siblings. And in that case, I have to say, with, with siblings that are not converted, that I am much closer to my, to my spiritual brothers than I am my own family. Now, that doesn't mean I don't love my siblings. I do love them. And I pray for them every day that they'll come to know the Lord. But in terms of my covenant relationships, The covenant relationship I have in Christ with real brothers and sisters transcends blood relationships. Some men, out of their own insecurities, never outgrow that first blood loyalty and understand that there is a covenant that is bigger and more powerful and is longer in in its endurance than the blood relationships that you have here on the earth. Jonathan and David got that real clearly. Secondly, they pledge themselves to each other by vow. And so when we join the church, we pledge ourselves to each other by sacred vow. And it is the biggest vow that we make in human relations. It's stronger than your patriotism. Your patriotism is an aspect of your Christian faith. It's not just because you were born here by nature. It's because you have an obligation in the kingdom of God to submit yourself to the civil authorities. But we take a vow with each other in in the family here. And we have to cultivate that understanding that we're committed to each other by integrity. Thirdly, they keep each other's confidences and trust each other. You can't be a confidant if you don't keep confidences. If you like to gossip about people, you'll never have a deep godly friendship. If you can't be trusted with secret information that could hurt somebody, and you can't be trusted with that, you'll never have a deep godly friendship. we have got to learn to keep confidences. That's the reason you always want to find out whether it's permissible to pass on a piece of information or to share someone's email that was sent to you. You've got to be a trustworthy person who loves the people that you're dealing with, wants to protect their reputation, protect everything about them. So you're, you've got to manage what you know so that you're not, co, you're not a co-conspirator in some wicked deed. You don't keep those confidences, but you keep confidences of your brothers in Christ. Fourthly, their love is based on the Lord and His kingdom. And you can see it real clearly here. Their love is based on the Lord and His kingdom. So it's a godly friendship. It is a, it is a relationship in the presence of the Lord. Now, B, verses 18 through 23, we account to the Lord. And notice that Jonathan says here, uh, as the Lord lives... It is safe for you, and there is no danger. If I say, "Look, the arrows are on the side of you," take them. And in verse twenty-two, but I say to, but if I say to the youth, "Look, the Lord, the arrows are beyond you," then go, for the Lord has sent. The Lord has sent you away. You see what he's saying? The Lord is sending you away. So Jonathan and David, in their friendship, have a constant awareness of the Lord's presence and the Lord's direction in their lives. So David is not just saying. Or Jonathan's not saying to David, if I say to the man the errors are beyond you, I'm sending you away. He says, no, the Lord is sending you away. The Lord is in charge of this friendship and everything we're trying to do. And then look at verse 23, here's the key. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. It's all about the Lord. Our relationships are mediated by the Lord Jesus Christ. So when, when my soul is knit to your soul and we're committing ourselves in deep godly friendship, we're basically saying that my relationship to you goes up to the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ and then comes back down to you. And your relationship to me goes up to the Lord Jesus Christ and comes back down to me. He's the mediator between us. He's the Lord over both of us. And He is the goal of our mission together. It's all about Him. That is Christian loyalty. So therefore you can see Our loyalty merely to each other is contingent upon our mutual loyalty to the Lord. So if one of us steps out of loyalty to the Lord, we immediately confront our friend. And our loyalty to him in human terms then becomes conditioned on his loyalty to the Lord. If you step out of this three-way relationship, if you step out of your relationship with Jesus Christ, then you've stepped out of the deep godly friendship that we have. Guys make this mistake all the time. They think that their abject loyalty to another human being is unconditional. No, it's always conditioned. It's conditioned on the Lord Jesus Christ, His presence, His pleasure, His direction, His providence, His word, everything. That's the reason that in deep godly friendships we pray together. Now... I'm talking about the deepest friendships here. Prayer is a very intimate exercise. If we're confessing our sins together or seeking the power of God for our lives together, that's an intimate relationship. But every deep friendship I've had has been a prayer partnership. You know, I've told, told you before that about uh, 25 years ago or so, uh, four of us men who were all senior ministers and we were all, uh, what I say, 25 years ago, so we were uh, you know in our upper 30s. Upper, how old am I? Well, upper 30s. And uh, we committed to each other to be, to be in covenant with each other, to hold each other accountable, and to pray for each other. And we met together two or three times a year. As we got older, we cut, had to cut it back to once a year. But we get together for 24 hours. We meet at noon one day for lunch, and we dismiss at lunch the next day. And during those 24 hours, all four people get debriefed on your relationship with the Lord and how that's going your ministry, how that's going, and your marriage and family and how that's going. And they can ask any question they want to ask. You don't have to answer, but if you don't, you're now held under suspicion. So you better, you better just go ahead and answer everything. And we've made certain, we've made certain vows with each other uh, during the years to hold each other accountable. And we get on our knees and pray together. Now, there's a deep, godly friendship. Now, you can't make friendships like that. You have to understand that these kind of friendships are gifts from God. That's the reason that when when Jonathan saw David, his soul was knit to him. And then David responds to him. David's soul is knit to him. That's a gift from God. You can't make that happen. All you can do is be a good friend to others. You can seek to promote other people. You can serve them. You can admire other people. And you can be willing to to be in a reciprocal, deep, godly friendship. But you can't make the deep, godly friendship happen. You can only be available for it, and you can do the part that you can do to be a good friend. If you want a friend, be a friend. And you can be a friend of 50 people, and maybe only one of them is going to qualify as a deep, godly friend. And in life, you're just not going to have that many of these deep friendships. But all of our friendships ought to be covenantal in the church. We've pledged ourselves to each other at some level. But here you see the nature of a deep, godly friendship. It is mediated by the Lord. And in your church relationships, all relationships are mediated through the Lord Jesus Christ. We bond to each other in the Lord Jesus Christ. So everything about that friendship must please the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a Christian friendship that is loyal over here on the side when someone is being disobedient to the Lord. That's not a deep godly friendship. That's just a deep friendship. A deep godly friendship is a friendship that seeks to serve the Lord above all else. So you see there in verses 18 through 23, John, Jonathan is revealing for us the nature of this deep friendship. Now, in uh, C, verses 24 through 34, we see that we risk our lives. Because in verse 30, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to them, Basically, you son of a bitch. That's what he's saying to him. Look at this. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. So I'm going to criticize your mother. Look at you. And Saul's angry at his mother, which, of course, he had sex with to have Jonathan in the first place. But he is some kind of angry. And he says, I do not know, do do I, I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your shame? And the shame of your mother's nakedness. Do you not know that I went to bed with your mother in nakedness to have you in the first place? You're shaming both of us. Boy, I talk about manipulation. Saul is pouring it on, giving Jonathan the full brunt of his hatred and anger. And look at verse 33. Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan to strike him. So Jonathan goes, hmm, I think my dad's angry. And he knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger. Fierce anger. Okay, there's a place for anger. I'm not saying that Jonathan had no sin in his anger. But there is such a thing as righteous indignation. And Jonathan is not just melding with David because he's mad at his dad. No, he's mad at his dad's behavior because he's undermining the very principles of the kingdom of God. He is in fierce anger. Friendship costs you, my friend. And you know what Jesus says in Luke 14. He says that if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to even abandon your father. And that's exactly what Jonathan does. D, verses 35 through 42, we experience loyalty's emotion. And you see here that they fall. David falls on the face to the ground, bows three times, they kiss one another. They weep profusely, especially David. Deep, godly friendships are deeply passionate. Involve deep emotion. We appreciate each other. We are grateful for each other. And then, lastly, Roman numeral number four, in verses twenty-three, chapter twenty-three, verses fifteen through eighteen. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness at Ziph, and David has been avoiding Saul now for some time. Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horsh and strengthened his hand in God. Look at this. The benefit of a deep godly friendship is godly encouragement. Jonathan is going to David to strengthen his hand, to make him stronger. Against whom? His own father. His own dynasty. And that's the reason he's doing it, because it's in God. And look at verse 17. He says to him, this is how he strengthens him. He says to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you, you shall be king over Israel. Now he's very explicit about it. David, you're the man. I'm the one who would naturally succeed. I'm telling you, you're it. And he says to him, uh, you shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. That is, I'm going to support you. Saul, my father, knows this. He's saying everybody knows it. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David remained at a horse, and Jonathan went on. A deep godly friendship encourages one another in the Lord especially during those low times when you're being pursued. And look how Jonathan knows, this is what my brother needs. And the crown prince goes and encourages David that he's the man. Now look, who's the real friend? Jesus Christ, friend of sinners. We sang about it a moment ago. When we had abandoned him, we had sinned against him. He lays down his life for his friends. And he made covenant with us. What you see in the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ here is the preeminent friend who divests himself of all of his kingly glory, takes on human flesh, washes feet, lays down his life for his friends. Now there's a real friend. When you become a Christian, you become a deep, godly friend of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, the greater Son of David. And the way in which we make friends with a real king like Jesus is like Jonathan made it with David. You divest yourself of your kingdom, put down your sword, give all of whatever you think you've got, you give it over to the king. He's the real king, not you. So if you want to be close to the king, really get close to him. Jonathan gives us a nice little picture here of how one has a deep godly friendship with a king. We humble ourselves. We decrease. He increases. Let us pray. (coughs) Father, thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our king. Help us to be the Jonathans of the world who were given privileges, who normally would seek to establish our own kingdom, enable us to lay it all down, take off our robe, our sword, all the weapons of our success, And help us, Lord, to delight ourselves in the Lord Jesus, our friend. And to seek in every way to advance his kingdom. And simply to say to him, King Jesus, have mercy upon us. Make covenant with us, protect us, and include us in your kingdom that we may be seated with you in that kingdom. And Lord Jesus, we do that now. Just take us as your friends and enable us to be the friends of the king, we pray.